Well, good morning. How is everyone this fine day? Is everyone glad for the sunshine? Anybody uh, grateful that it's going to be in the 60s this week? Anybody else plan on going fishing? Hey, a few of us. Awesome. I am, uh, can't wait uh, to get out on the water. And a special welcome to you if this is your first time uh, with us this morning, whether that's online or in person, whether you've uh, been here forever, been gone uh, for several months, or wherever it is uh, that you have been, we're glad that uh, you're here with us today. And uh, we find ourselves in uh, the middle of a series called Illuminate, where our prayer has been um, that God would illuminate um, the world to himself and that he would use us um, to share the gospel. And we've been challenged this year that this is just an area of focus for us, that we would be the kind of people who are out there um, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ wherever we go. And the last couple of weeks, we've talked about a couple different ways that we see in Scripture where that's happening. Uh, the first uh, was um, the blind man who was healed, and he simply went and told uh, people about Jesus. He, he didn't know uh, who Jesus was. He just knew that he was blind, and now he could see, and that's a story he told. And uh, God did some miraculous things uh, there um, in that moment and in that day. Uh, last week, we see Paul uh, giving his defense before uh, King Agrippa, and he is sharing um, God and the gospel through the scriptures as he is recounting uh, what God has done. He takes it a little bit further, um, answers some more questions, gets a little bit deeper. And today, uh, we're going to uh, go a, a different direction and see a different way uh, where the gospel is shared. And I've shared a little bit of my story over the past couple of weeks where as a junior in high school, um, God showed up to me and uh, surrendered my life to him. But I might not have shared uh, parts of my story where I, I grew up in church, and uh, for me, uh, Christianity uh, was about uh, a way of life. It was about following the rules, or at least following the rules to the extent that uh, you don't get caught breaking them. Did anybody else grow up this way? Grow up in church, and that's, that's what Christianity was to me. It was, it was a religion, and it was just the way that we were supposed to live. I never really um, encountered um, the person of Christ um, and today, I just want um, to challenge us um, that um, being a Christian isn't about following some religion. It's not about following um, some sort of rules. And we shouldn't be inviting people to follow religion, but that we should be inviting people to consider the person of Jesus Christ. So would you pray with me this morning? God, we're grateful that uh, your grace um, is sufficient. We're grateful for the opportunity to meet together, to, to sing and to worship, to open your word, God, to read it, um, for your spirit to talk to us. And God, I don't know, um, but I'm confident that you do. Where we've all been this week, the kind of baggage that uh, we bring in, the kind of concerns, the frustrations, the worries, God, I just ask that you would help us to set those things aside, and God, that we would hear your voice. And God, if there's someone here today who has never heard the gospel, may they hear that you love them, and that Jesus came and died on a cross and rose from the grave, that if we confess our sins, that you are faithful to forgive us. God, may they hear the words of Jesus saying, come and follow me. And God, for those of us that have had that moment where we've surrendered our lives to you and we're following you, 
God, may we be challenged. May you stir something in us to share Jesus with a lost and dying world. For it's in his great name we pray. Amen. Well, if you've got your Bible this morning, go ahead and uh, turn to uh, John chapter 1. Uh, we're going to be in a couple different passages in John. Some of those will be on the screen, some won't. If you don't have a Bible, either in print um, or digital, there's some, I think, on the back tables. Feel free to grab one of those and take it home with you if uh, you'd like to do that. And um, this morning, uh, we're definitely going to be looking at um, this uh, moment where John the Baptist um, began uh, to pave the way uh, for Jesus um, to come into this world. So we're going to start in verse 29 in John chapter 1. It says, The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him, this is John the Baptist, and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. Just a couple quick things to note here, that John the Baptist knew what his purpose was. John the Baptist was not gathering for him some flock, some group of followers for himself. Um, he was there to point to Jesus, to tell people that he was coming, to call people to repent. And there in that moment, he saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I mean, put yourself there in that moment that this is happening, where someone stops, and I'm, I'm pretty confident with much excitement as he has been waiting for this moment. He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Huge, huge moment. He wanted people to see that this was Jesus. It was the Messiah. For years, for centuries, we had been waiting for the Messiah to come, and there He is. There's Jesus. And He was telling people about Jesus before Jesus showed up, and He was telling people about Him there in that moment. The second thing I want us to see in these first couple verses is that Jesus invites the disciples to come and see. He didn't say, hey, just go, go read a book. Um, he invites them to come and see. So they came and they saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day for about the tenth hour. And we're going to see as Jesus calls his disciples to come and see. He's not afraid of sharing his life, of sharing um, all that he is with people who want to follow him. He invites them to come and see. In verse 40, it says, one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. 
In verse 43, it says, the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, come and see. So here in this moment, we see Jesus, again, not asking people to follow a religion, to not follow some list, list of rules uh, or anything of the sort. He says, follow me. Follow me, Jesus, a person. Philip invites Nathaniel to come and see. He doesn't invite Nathaniel to come and consider some religion or a way of life. He says, come and see Jesus. Come and see him. He's not afraid of what Jesus was going to say or do. He simply wanted the people to come and follow him, to come and see him. It's Jesus we need to recognize who's on the line. It's his reputation that's on the line. It's not our ability in these moments um, to be really good. It wasn't up to Philip and Nathaniel to somehow articulate incredibly well what Jesus was about and what he was saying, because as we see, as Scripture goes on uh, to tell this story, they oftentimes didn't get it quite right. But we do see here in these moments that they said, come and see Jesus. So let's see how the rest of it played out. In verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? And Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. For us to think back to our own stories of those moments where we encountered Jesus, amazing things happen. Our life is forever changed. Not, not when we encounter some way of life or some religion, some list of rules. Those don't radically change our lives. But for those of us who have encountered the person of Jesus Christ, our lives have been forever altered. It was an amazing moment. And we begin to see that Jesus does incredible things. And we, we could go on to read all of the Gospels, how Jesus would do miracles, how Jesus would say things that didn't quite make sense to some of the people who were hearing, how he would stand up for those who had been forgotten, those in society who had been ostracized. He would challenge the religious elite and the power that they held onto so tightly. Jesus would do these things. And remember, Jesus invited the disciples to come and see, to follow him. Jesus calls others to follow him, and we could go on for quite a while, but there's just a few. In Matthew 4, we see he calls Peter and Andrew. He calls James and John. We see in Matthew 8, the disciple that was wanting to bury his father. He calls him to come and follow me. He calls Matthew the tax collector in Matthew 9, the rich young ruler in Matthew 19. 
all the time, he's using the same words. He is saying, come and follow me. Let's look at another passage. This one uh, won't be on the screen. Um, It's going to be in John chapter 4 if you want to turn there. It's the woman at the well. It's a story that many of us are are very familiar with, that uh, that Jesus had been uh, doing uh, some amazing things, uh, ministering uh, to the people. And um, the disciples, they go, and they go to town uh, to get some food. Um, Jesus um, goes to the well, and uh, Jesus, um, here in this moment, although he is tired, um, Jesus is staying on mission. And the the fact that Jesus also um, shows up to a Samaritan woman of all people. These aren't people that Jews in that day would associate with, (laughs) particularly Jewish men. Samaritans were not uh, part of the elite people of society. They were looked down upon. Uh, you weren't supposed to hang out with them. You certainly won't, weren't supposed to hang out with a Samaritan woman at a well where other people weren't. But Jesus appears to this woman at the well for us to see that the gospel doesn't have any bounds, for us to see that it's not um, about just sharing with people that are in our own circle, but there are people all over the world There are people in our own circles even that um, nobody wants to talk to. People don't want to be around. And the gospel is for them too. And here in this moment, we see Jesus reaching out to the Samaritan woman. And we see that Jesus claims um, to be the long-awaited Messiah to this woman. And she understood it. So in John chapter 4 and verse 28, It says, so the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. So she she encountered, again, not, not a religion, not some list of rules, not some way of life. She encountered the person of Jesus and she goes to her town and tells people about it, and she invites them again to come and see a man who told me all that I ever did, to come and see. And they went. Verse 31, meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you don't know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me, and to accomplish his work. I've got to imagine, if we're hanging out with Jesus, like walking around, you know, Canal Winchester, Columbus, you know, at your job, at the ball field, if, if we're walking around with Jesus, we're, we're going to be like, uh, what? Pretty often. I mean, here, you know, they went to get Jesus' food, right? They, they've been kind of working and ministering all day, and, and they get the food, and they come back, and he's hanging out with a Samaritan woman, which they don't get, and all they're trying to do is to get Jesus to have, have dinner. <laughs> and Jesus is like, you know what? <laughs> My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Like, well, we got this bagel. Um, we got some bread, and we got some fish, and we got some… No, nope, my will is to do 
that of the, I'm sorry, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. Jesus says um, some very interesting things and oftentimes makes some incredible claims with some very peculiar wording. I want to encourage us. We don't need to tweak the words of Jesus. We don't need to make them sound better. We don't need to polish them up. We don't need to change them to make them less offensive. I mean, Jesus, he, he knew what he was saying. He said the words that he said on purpose. And clearly, it doesn't always make sense to those who are listening. But I want to encourage you, don't, don't back away from what Jesus said. Don't feel like you have to make it sound better. We can point people to Jesus. We can point people to his words. God will do the rest. He will do the rest. It goes on in verse 35. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Jesus says that the fields are white unto harvest. He tells the disciples to lift up your eyes. Friends, we've got to start seeing. We've got to start seeing that the fields are white for harvest. It's not our job to just survive, to just get along to go along, or go along to get along. Much like Jesus is telling the disciples here in this moment to lift up your eyes. I think God is saying the same thing to us today. Open your eyes. Open them. There are people in desperate need of the gospel. There are people in our midst who are ready, who are listening to hear the truth of the gospel They're ready to encounter the Savior of the world. We must lift up our eyes and begin to see. We must take our eyes off of the earthly things. Here in this moment, as Jesus was talking about the food, maybe as you attempt fasting here in a week or two, it will be God's opportunity to take our eyes, even if for a moment, off of the earthly things and see There's a harvest. There are people who are ready. If only we would see them and speak to them. I also want to encourage us and challenge us that others are already experiencing the harvest. God wants it for us too. He wants us to be able to share the gospel with someone and for that someone to surrender their lives to Jesus. He wants us to be there too, not just to be like, well, that's, that's for somebody else that's maybe more spiritual, or that's, that's for another church or for another town. No. 
I think he wants that for us. He wants us to see that there is a harvest and we can reap some of the blessing of seeing people surrender their lives to Jesus. And then finally here in this point that both sowing and reaping are in God's plan for us. Both are important. Both work together. It's not a competition. It's not about a ministry philosophy. But we all should rejoice when someone comes to know Jesus as their Savior and their lives are forever changed. Verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there for two days. And many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Many Samaritans believed in Jesus. Why? Because this Samaritan woman went and told them, he told me all that I ever did. She just went and spoke the truth. She heard the words of Jesus, and she went and invited others to come and hear him too, and they came to know him. And then Jesus went to their town. Many more believed, no longer because of just what the woman said, but because they came and they saw and they heard the words of Jesus. But we know that there are people in our lives, maybe your story has some sort of barrier, something keeping you from belief in Jesus Christ, something keeping you from encountering um, His saving grace. It might be the problem of evil and how you answer it. Why is there evil in a world? Or how could an all-loving God allow evil? Maybe it's some sort of debate about creation versus evolution and the science or the so-called science. Maybe it's the radical call of Jesus to leave everything and follow him that's keeping someone from surrendering their lives to him. Maybe it's asking the question, how in the world could the empty tomb be real? Is it possible really that Jesus came back from the dead? I mean, that's not normal, right? Maybe it's the validity of the Scriptures or something else, or maybe it is the claims for all of these miracles. I want to encourage you to invite them to come and see. Invite them to test the claims of Jesus. You don't have to prove them right or wrong. Jesus is plenty big enough to take that on his shoulders. Here's what John Stott says regarding the single greatest challenge of the Christian faith. He says, I could never myself believe in God if it were not for the cross. In the real world of pain, how could one worship a God who was immune to it? I have entered many Buddhist temples in different Asian countries and stood respectfully before the statue of Buddha, his legs crossed, arms folded, eyes closed, the ghost of a smile playing round his mouth, a remote look on his face, detached from the agonies of the world. But each time, after a while, I've had to turn away. In an imagination, I have turned instead to that lonely, twisted, tortured figure on the cross. 
nails through his hands and feet, back lacerated, limbs wrenched, brow bleeding from thorn pricks, mouth dry and intolerably thirsty, plunged in God-forsaken darkness. John Stott says, that's the God for me. He laid aside his immunity to pain. He entered our world of flesh and blood, tears and death. He suffered for us. Our sufferings became more manageable in light of his. There's still a question mark against human suffering, but over it we boldly stamp another mark, the cross which symbolizes divine suffering, the cross of Christ is God's only self-justification in such a world as ours. Jesus invites us and invites others to come and see, to come and see his claims, to come and see and examine his words, to come and examine and see his actions, his miracles, the way he lived his life, to come and investigate the crucifixion, the truth of it, the brutality of it, the purpose of it, the meaning behind it, to look at the empty tomb critically and say, did it really happen? He invites us to come and see the scriptures and all that he has said for all of human history. He invites us to see his power. He invites us to come and see it all. He's not hiding behind some worry that somehow someone sometime is going to prove him incorrect. He's not worried about it. He doesn't want us to worry about it either. It's not our job to prove him to be correct. He's plenty big enough. He's plenty man enough. He's plenty God enough to do that all on his own. Jesus just asks us first to come and see and follow him. And then simply, much like the woman at the well, to invite others to also come and see. So what do we do with all of this? Is it just nice uh, that we've, we get together on a Sunday morning and, and we read the scriptures for just a minute? Um, or is God trying to do um, something else in us? I want us to see this morning and know that it all comes back to Jesus, always, always comes back to, is Jesus really who he said he was? Because if he's not, let's be honest, this is all a big prank and we should go do something else. But if Jesus really is who he said he was, if his claims in Scripture and throughout historical documents are true, then he is the God of the universe who came here to die for us so that we might be forgiven, so that we might spend forever with him, that he has bridged the chasm from hell to eternity with our Savior in heaven. If that is true, friends, he wants us to know it all comes back to him, always. And as we look at Scripture, it's all about Him. From cover to cover, it's about Jesus. It is about His plan to express His love, His hope to a lost and dying world. It always comes back to Jesus. The second thing is I want us to be encouraged that you don't have to convince others. It's not our job. You don't have to be a scholar of scholars. We just need to simply point people to Jesus. And the last thing is that, to simply point others to the claims that Jesus made. To invite them to come and see. That's it. To invite others to come and see.
So with that, my challenge is simply this. Would we pray and ask God to open our eyes? Would you do that this week to ask God to open your eyes that you might see that there are people in your midst who are ready. They're ready to hear the gospel. They're ready to respond. They're ready for answers. And Jesus is ready to answer them. These people, they might be in our homes. They might be in our neighborhoods. They might be in whatever group or team that you're on. They might be in your workplace. They're everywhere. Because we used to be there too. So first, to challenge us to ask God to open our eyes that we might be able to see. And the second, to just simply point people to Jesus, to invite them to consider, is Jesus really who he said he was? This week there are um, cards if you are interested in inviting someone. As uh, in a couple weeks, we start our Easter series, you want to invite someone to come. Uh, there are cards, I think, on the tables where you can grab those and invite someone to come and see. Not come and see new life, but to come and see and hear about the claims of Jesus. Next week, we're going to have some books for you where you can take those short little books and invite people to consider the claims of Jesus. Did he really live? Did he really die on a cross? Did he really live a sinless, perfect life? And did he really uh, rise from the dead? We'll have those for you next week. So let's, let's be those people this week who invite others to come and see. God, we're grateful today for your word that challenges us. God, we're grateful for your grace. God, we're grateful that uh, you don't invite us to some lame religion, some lame way of life, or some list of rules that we're supposed to follow and somehow be really good. But God, that you had invited us to follow a person, to follow the God of the universe. And God, we know, God, as we have encountered you in our lives, that you indeed are true. And someone at some point invited us to come and see. May we too be those people who invite others to come and see, to come and see you. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.